if there are seat belts in the pews, you might want to put them on. We're going for a ride. It's going to start off a little slow and a little rough. It's going to get better. There is hope in a world where there seems to be no hope. All of you and all of us are struggling with something. All of us have a hole in our heart. Even as a follower of Jesus, there are times when we just get up in the mornings and go, what is it all about? The mundane routine of life sometimes. Yeah. I may have another 50 years of this. And I think, what? I hope I do. We took a look at Ecclesiastes last week, chapter 1. I'm going to be in chapter 2. But I'm going to be in it very quickly by my standards. And then we're going to jump over to 1 John chapter 5 for our answers, okay? Uh, I'm not exactly sure why these two came together for me, but they did. Uh, at first, I wasn't going to go with Ecclesiastes at all. And then somebody reminded me that he kind of enjoyed it. Uh, to understand it. And I thought, well, you know what? Actually, it ties in with where I was going to go anyway. Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon, King Solomon. Wisest of the wise. And we learn in chapter 1 that he made his conclusion in the first two sentences. He said, everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Completely meaningless. Or everything is vain. Everything is vanity. Everything is doesn't mean anything. And people have taken Ecclesiastes and they have read it out of context and said, well, that basically if I read a book of Ecclesiastes, I can eat, drink, be merry, do what I want, have a good time and go on. And that's, you know, and you, you even had some atheists, people who are anti-Christian, make the case with Ecclesiastes and say, see, you can do whatever you want. Christians can do whatever you want, then go to church on Saturday night and repent, or Sunday morning and repent, or whatever. Now, the purpose of Ecclesiastes in the context is very important to understand. The reason it was written is because King Solomon said, I wanted to understand wisdom. I wanted to know wisdom. He says, and I lived my life in a way that allowed me to try all the various things. He had everything, folks. King Solomon had everything and had access to everything, and he was the wisest amongst the wise. He had asked for wisdom. God gave him wisdom. And he abused that wisdom, okay? He did some things he shouldn't have done, and he tells us that in Ecclesiastes. This book is about what it would be like, okay, if we were to live as though God didn't exist, as though there were no meaning, as though there, were, there was no God was not our umbrella. And I can tell you, as a Christian, sometimes we still feel as though we're living as though God doesn't exist. And where God doesn't exist, Solomon is telling us, there simply is no hope. He says life is, is just, it's in vain. You, you live and you die. That's it. That, that's, his, that's his summation. And that sounds pretty cruel. But everything around us, everything that we read and see and hear, everything our kids are being taught, we're being brainwashed to believe, not so subtly sometimes, that this is it. Enjoy it, 
Take what you got. He who dies with the most toys wins. I'm telling you, it's all vanity. It's all meaningless if we live with the assumption that there is no God. And that's what Solomon went to undertake, and he's trying to teach us something. How miserable he was. How hopeless he was. So in verses, uh, excuse me, chapter 1, he tells us his conclusion. In chapter 2 begins, and it continues throughout Ecclesiastes, all the things in detail that he did. So we're going to take a look at a few of those things because chapter 2 is really reminiscent of Western culture today and maybe you and me. He says, I said to myself, this is Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. I said to myself, and I'm reading from the NLT, come on, let's try pleasure. So that's the first thing he said. I'm going to go out and I'm going to try to just enjoy life. I'm going to do what I want to do. He's going to eat. He's going to drink. He's going to buy stuff. He's going to have all kinds of uh, extramarital affairs. He's going to have all kinds of women in his life. He's going to do what he wants, spend all kinds of money. He's going to go to the poker machines and he's going to do what he wants. He says, Come on, let's try pleasure. We live in a pleasure-induced society right now. Everything is about instant gratification and pleasure. We've got to be careful with that because as if you have any experience at all as a human being, if you've ever breathed a breath, you're a human being, and you understand that, as an example, I'm mowing yesterday, and I noticed that my neighbor... She pulls into her garage and she's got a brand new SUV. And I'm thinking, good for her. And I'm thinking, you know, that's an exciting time. And, you know, you've been, I'm, I'm thinking, I just thought of the last few days and I'm thinking, I bet she went in and she negotiated this and then she talked to this person, did this person. You got that, you got that, oh, I got that new feeling. You get in the car, like, that new car smell. It's awesome. It's an exciting time. It's so pleasurable. We've all been there, whether it's new, new to you or new to somebody else. I, you know, I've got old beaters I bought I was excited about because it was just something new in my life. And after a week, it's like, whatever. No, really. Whatever. And if you've ever bought a really expensive car or anything expensive, you think to yourself, well, that was dumb. <laughs> it's called buyer's remorse. I was so excited. And see that the people that try to sell you all these things, that's, they work on that very that pleasure zone. They, they work on that. They don't want you to leave the car lot until you walked out with the car because they know you're going to go home and go, they're going to think through all the bills i got to pay, the maintenance and the insurance and the, the down payment and all this stuff, and you talk yourself out of it. Solomon said, I'm not going to talk myself out of anything. I'm going to go buy a new car. I'm going to buy another one. He says, so let's try pleasure, he says. He says, let's look for the good things in life. Quote, unquote, it says, good things. Let's look for the good things in life. Boy, is that not us today. Let's look for the good things in life. Defined by the good things that we have in our possession. I'm guilty of it, are you? When I buy something, I like to buy the best. I go on YouTube and I review it. Okay, what's the best? And if the best is out of my price range, okay, what's the next best? There's, there's millions of YouTube channels reviewing products that tell you what you should and shouldn't buy or why you should and shouldn't buy it. We're looking for the good things in life. He says, I'm going to look for the good things. 
He says, but I found that this too also. He says, I found this too was meaningless. Vanity. Meant nothing. My next door neighbor, he said three or four months ago when he was having a difficult time with his health, I don't think about those things anymore right now. I don't think about what I'm driving. I don't think about my farm. I don't think about the yield of the crops. I'm thinking about me. I'm thinking about my future. I'm thinking about my health. I'm thinking about eternity. I'm thinking about the bigger picture. And he found it. He found God because the end of this story is God wins. There is a God. This is, is this kind of a silly argument we're making today. The assumption there is no God because there is a God. But the assumption here is I, Solomon and the Holy Spirit wants you to know, here's what life would be like without me. Are you ready? He says, you can seek pleasures. You're not going to find it. He said, it'll be temporary. He says, you can even laugh. That's the next word. He says, you can laugh. Laughter's a wonderful thing. He says, but what's that going to gain you? <laughs> you laugh all your life and laugh yourself to death. What's it mean? Nothing. <laughs> it just means you laughed. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hate to break the news to you, but life is more than laughter. In fact, he says, verse 2, so I said, laughter is silly. The play on words is intentional. Laughter is silly. Laughing at laughter. He said, if you think laughter's it, I mean, well, I'd love to go see a good comedian, a good, clean comedian. We went and saw one a few weeks ago. Loved him. He was fantastic. I walk away from you. know, You laugh the whole time. You laugh the whole time. And then you walk out and you get in your car. And you, I can't even think of a single joke he told me. It was funny. It was fun. At the time I enjoyed it, you know. I mean, if I had to go to the bathroom, I got up in the middle of the show and went to the bathroom. I mean, it wasn't that good. I mean, there's just things that take precedence. You've got to go do things, right? Go get a soda or get a popcorn. I mean, it's just, it's just laughter. He says in verse 3, after much thought, I decided to cheer myself with, oh, here it goes, uh, wine. We'll get drunk. Yeah. That's what it's saying. That's fine. I mean, Solomon. Solomon's a Christian. Solomon drank. And he said, I decided to not just drink, but to drink. Yes. Because that's going to solve my problem. Right? Get myself drunk. That'll take care of all my problems. Maybe for a few minutes. And he goes, uh, nope. After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while I was seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. What he says, folks, he says, looking for the fun things in life, looking for pleasure, looking for having all the things, looking to, to, to drink and be married, do all these things. He says, what I was really doing was I was, I was dancing with the fool. I was, I was dancing with foolishness. He says, the whole, it's just it's pointless. He says, it serves no purpose. So after much thought, he said, I decided to cheer myself with wine and while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. He said, I was seeking wisdom. I was doing all these things in the, in, in the honor of God. I was trying to just prove how much he loved it. What, what would it be God to have? God, how good is it to have you? So I'm just going to see how, how good is it really? I'm going to try these things. And God, you're right. 
There's nothing without you. I clutched, I clutched at foolishness. Man, we, we live in a, in a world where, I don't know about you, sometimes I just reach out for foolishness. You just know you're not supposed to get that or do that. Like, I'm all right. It's like we reach for the foolishness. Like we invite it in all the time. That's not very wise. If you're seeking wisdom, first thing you need to do is not invite in all the foolishness. Yeah, let it out there. Doesn't mean you can't have fun. Just means if fun is your goal, it's foolish. He says, in this way, I try to experience the only happiness most, listen, in doing this, he says, I try to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. Ouch. So he tells us what he would, why he was doing it. Okay, this is like, this is like us telling our mom and dad, uh, yeah, I know my curfew is midnight, but the reason I was late was because I was just trying to see if you really meant it. Solomon says, so in, in, I tried to experience these things. He says, that what I found out was that this is the only happiness some people will ever experience. For some people, this is as good as it gets. For the rest of us, this is as bad as it gets. Amen? Like again, if you're a human being and live one breath, you know that things can get pretty bad. And I have a tendency to remember the really, really bad things that happened in my life. And I have a tendency to remember the really, really good things that happened in my life. And if I'm just being completely honest with you, I remember more bad things than I do good. I just, I'm just being honest. And that very thing right there is what a lot of counselors and professional people thrive on. There are millions of books on self-help because of the bad past you have had. God tells us constantly, he says, don't look to the past, look to the future. Don't look to your past, look to my future. No matter where you have been, you can change where you're going. And that can happen right this minute. Okay? Solomon's doing all of this, I guess, in his wisdom. And he's sharing it with us. He, he finally said that his whole life, his whole, it was, this wasn't just a thing he, he did for two weeks. His whole life was like this. And we see bits and pieces of it as we go through the Old Testament, see he, him living and all the concubines and the wives and the things he did and some of the decisions he made and the punishment that God put upon him and the blessings that God kept from him because he, he abused his wisdom. He says, so this is just his book of honesty saying, this is what it would be like, folks, if you didn't have God. Is that what you really want? It's a warning to us. And he goes on, and I'm going to read these quickly and move on. In verse 4, he says, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself. So I sat on built big homes. Okay? By planting beautiful vineyards, I... I made gardens, verse 5, and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I, I built reservoirs to collect water, to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves. I bought people, both men and women, and others who were born into my household. 
I also owned large herds and flocks and more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. So he had, folks, everything. I went, he said, I went out and I tried to get everything. And the, if you notice, the things he, a lot of the things he did were for, for good. I mean, he built a reservoir. He built vineyards. I mean, these were things that everybody could benefit from, yet his conclusion is it was for nothing. So what? He said, I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. He didn't just hire concubines. He hired beautiful concubines, you know? He had, be- he had beautiful people around him. He was, a, he was one of those people. He was a Hollywood person. Everything's beautiful. You and I went and saw a show the other night. It was a romantic comedy. It was kind of cute with Meg Ryan. She's had a lot of plastic surgery done, folks. She don't look too good. She what? Had a lot of plastic surgery done. Yeah. And she can hardly talk because I look like <laughs> I'm sorry, well, forgive me. And we talked, why does that happen? I said, particularly, particularly women, as they age, the expectation is they got to look beautiful. Men, your ideal of beauty is your wife or your spouse, your significant other. Women, your standard for beauty is your husband. Significant other. Don't look to the world. I think a lot of aging women are just beautiful. Now, my wife, she never ages, so I can't say that about her yet. He says, uh, I, I denied myself no pleasures. He says in verse 9, I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. My wisdom never failed me. God kept giving him and telling him and kept giving him stuff. He says in verse 10, anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. Now, something important here, as it just hit me, everything I wanted wasn't necessarily given to him. He took it. And that's another big thing in today's self-help books for how to be successful. Don't wait for it. Take it. When I took my first interview back in 1999, with a particular company I wanted to work for, they asked me, why should we hire you? And I said, my philosophy is, I'm not going to wait for my ship to come in. I'm going to swim out to it. We like that attitude. (laughs) Got the job. They didn't tell me how far out the ship was, though. (laughs) Solomon said, I didn't wait for it. He said, I took it. Pretty significant. He said, I took it. He took whatever I want. I denied myself no pleasure. The implication being, you can say no. You, you can say no. Okay? You can stay off the dark web. You don't have to buy the best headphones, Scott. You don't have to get online and look for the best of the best of the best. You can say, I don't need that. I tell Younger folks, make your decision now when you're out traveling as a young man, a married man, that you're going to say no now to the little deer that comes up to you and wants to take a ride with you. Say no. A buddy of mine always says to me when I traveled for Dot Foods, watch out for the deer. I said, there's no deer. Said, I mean deer, like women, deer. Watch out for the deer. Make the decision now. You can deny that now. You don't have to wait. Be prepared now. He says, I didn't deny anything. I just, I took it in. Took it in. All right, look at Solomon said, well, that's not a very godly way to act. And later on, we find out actually that wasn't a very godly way to act. And Solomon paid the consequences for that, okay? 
Notice he says that I even found, uh, in verse 10, anything I wanted, I, I take. I deny myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work. A reward for all my labors. He's a workaholic. Can you imagine, I mean, having one wife with kids and being a workaholic is bad enough, but he had like several wives. He wasn't spending any time with the kids. He didn't go to any soccer games. He didn't go to any basketball games. He didn't go to any family picnics because he was working. And he found great joy just in working. One day he was just out drinking. He was working. He says, in all this, he says in verse 11, but as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all meaningless. <laughs> Sometimes we get little snippets of that when we talk to people that have died recently. You know, they're not talking about how well they did at work. They're talking about their kids and their grandkids and their wife and all the meaningful relationships that they had and the different activities they did. And the more of those experiences we wish we had versus some of those people that we work with that, quite honestly, I've had several jobs in the last decade. I don't talk to those people anymore. It's just the way it is. It's just you move on. Family's not that way. God is not that way. Those are not the kinds of relationships he has for you. His relationship is a forever, non-ending relationship of love. He's always there for you. Are you there for him? And he goes on talking about the futility of work and wisdom and foolish. And he basically says this uh, world in which we live is a, an evil world. And it's a meaningless world because God's not in it. And as long as God's not in it, there is no hope. And you can do everything, have the best of intentions, but if God is not in it, What's the point? You live, you die, you go on. Everything's meaningless. It's vanity of vanities. Sounds really depressing. It's a heck of a ride to take. It's a heck of an admission to make. But that's the reality of it. But that's not the way you live. And that's not the truth of the word. In 1 John chapter 5. 1 John, not the Gospel of John. 1 John chapter 5. Okay, gives us a beautiful message that says, Contrary to what Scott just said, contrary to what King Solomon just experienced, contrary to what he's trying to tell you, life without God, he says, I'm going to tell you what it's like life with God, how your life ought to be, how your life can be if you're a Christian. What's it mean to be a Christian? Repent and receive. That's it. There's no magic prayer. Sorry, Baptist. There's no magic words. It's about true repentance and turning to Jesus. The guy on the cross who was a broken criminal deserved to be there. All he did was turn to Jesus and say to him, this day, remember me. Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He did a couple things there. One, he acknowledged that Jesus is God. He acknowledged that Jesus is God. He acknowledged that Jesus is God. Is Jesus God to you? Is he just a figure of your imagination? Is he a myth? The what is he? That thief said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Not only was he Jesus, but he's God Almighty. And even by asking this, asking for something he didn't deserve, Jesus turned to him and said, this day you shall be with me in paradise. The man never taught Sunday school, never went to church, 
Never said the rosary. Never had a Bible. Never met Paul, I'm sure. Didn't know any of the disciples. He didn't run around to cool people. But he hung with Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. Sorry, that's, that's it. I don't have, I have to tell you. If, you. if you haven't repented and, and received Jesus, then you're not a Christian. I don't care how good your intentions are. You're not a Christian if you haven't received Jesus. I'm sorry, and I, I pray that you have. And if you have, 1 John has a message. He says in verse uh, 1 of verse John, uh, 1 John chapter 5, everyone, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know that we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments. It goes on. Verse 13. Verse 13. I have written this to you, John says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Who's that? Jesus. I have written to you who believe. I'm writing it to the church. I'm writing it to you sitting in the pew if you have repented and received. I'm writing it to you. Put your name in there. He says, I'm writing this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Life does not just end. You have eternal life. Now, he hasn't gone on to define eternal life yet, but life with Christ is eternal life with God. Life, eternal life without God is eternal life without God. Hell is what we call it. Jesus talks about hell more than anybody as a warning, not as a motivation. There's a warning to say, hey, listen. And people say, well, how could God send good people to hell? How could God send anybody to hell? God doesn't send anybody to hell. That's what you want to do. If you don't want to have a relationship with him, he, he says, that's fine. I'm not going to force my hand. From the very beginning days of creation, back in the Garden of Eden, he gave them free will, and he gives you free will. A man on one side of the cross went to be with heaven with Jesus. I don't know what happened to the other man. I know that he was bad-mouthing him. You know? He was talking about it. How can you talk to him that way? How can... I, I... He's probably not in a real good place right now. Because that was his choice. Both men deserved what they got. We deserve whatever we get. But Jesus says, I'll pay that debt. A debt you cannot pay. A debt that I don't owe. A debt you owe but a debt I'm going to pay. And at the moment that he gave his last breath, at that moment, he says, my God, my God, my Father, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, Jesus knows what it's like to be the person in Ecclesiastes to be without God. You might say, well, he is God. He's the son of God. He is God. But for a moment in eternity, all of eternity, Jesus experienced life without the Father. 
That's how serious what Jesus did was. I don't want that for you, he says. I don't want that for you. He said, if the cup can pass from me, but not my will, but my Father's will. He knew in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew from the very moment he was old enough to understand anything as a child, a, a human being, what he was going to have to go through. And he, no one took it from him, his life. He gave it for you. He gave it for the man on the cross next to him, and he gave it for the other man on the cross next to him. Both had a choice. You got a choice. He says that to defeat living under the sun, and I mentioned that there's 29 times in Ecclesiastes, Solomon talks about living under the sun. That means without God, without the umbrella of God. He says, in order to defeat living under the sun, living without God, he says, give your life to Jesus. He says here, in verse 5 of 1 John chapter 5, and who can win this battle? against the world, which is what's described in Ecclesiastes. He says, and who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Mic drop. Are you with me? All right. Seatbelt's getting tight, isn't it? Huh? You know, God loves you very much. He must love me because he, he allows me to do this every week. I don't know why. Got to thinking about the different churches I've served in over the years and the impact in this community. And I think, Lord, I don't know what you're doing or why you're doing it. I mean, I know why you're doing it, but why me? I hope you're asking the same question. Why you? You're nothing special, but in the eyes of God, you're very special. Oh, you're so special, right? Humility, but recognizing our place in the kingdom. We are children of God, of the Most High. Okay? You can defeat this world by hanging with Jesus and repenting of your sin and turning to him. And this day, he shall remember you in paradise. You shall be with him. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Words are so important. Lord, thank you that we have a vile example in Ecclesiastes of the way things could be. And it goes on for several chapters as Solomon just spills his guts and says, I am a sinner. I did these things and I want you to know that there was nothing to them. I experienced it for you so that you don't have to. I did all these things. I sought all the pleasure so you don't have to. Speaking to us. Because if that's all you seek, then life is meaningless. How do we conquer that then? Through Jesus. He gives us hope. Lord God, you are our hope. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for sending your one and only begotten Son that whoever repents and turns to him in faith, who believes in him, shall not perish, but have, have everlasting life. We thank you for that, Lord God. It's in Jesus' name.